Well, this morning uh, in our sermon, I want to focus on our summer theme for camp. Our theme this summer is God is. Our goal is that every single one of our campers will have a better understanding of who God is and who he wants to be in their lives. See, recognizing who God is is something that every Christian needs to know. We, we, we need to have at least a basic understanding of who God is before we can really make the decision to give our lives to him, to repent and to be baptized. And if we look through scripture, the entire Bible is God revealing himself to us. He starts at the very beginning in the first chapter of Genesis with the first words. He begins and tells us who he is. And so all through the, end, the Old Testament, we see God little by little showing us more and more about who he is. Revealing himself to the Israelites, revealing himself to us. All the way up until we get to the Gospels where Jesus enters the world and we get to see God's Son in the physical form, and we get to get a very clear picture of who God is through Jesus. And then because of his death and resurrection, we see the salvation that we get from his sin, and then the rest of the New Testament all points back to Christ, and because of him, what our lives look like and should look like in that relationship with God. God desires for us to be in a relationship with him. He wants us to know him. He is not trying to hide himself from us. He wants us to know him and to know him very well. Isaiah 44, 6 says, This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. God makes it very clear that despite what so many people have thought and still think, there is only one God. He is the first, he is the last, and apart from him, there is no other God, and we need to know who God is. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing for us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart, conceives God to be like. There is so much truth in that statement. Tozer is saying that what matters more than anything is what, in our hearts, who we believe God to be. And so this morning, I want to look at who God is, focusing on what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 18:2. He says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. When I think about God being my rock, then I think about the times in life when I need his strength most. Those are the times when things are difficult, when we find ourselves facing struggles in our lives, times of suffering. Suffering is a place that we find ourselves in at times. There's no escaping suffering in our lives. Families get sick. There are financial hardships uh, that come upon us. Sometimes it may feel like everything is against you in life. And while some suffering is unavoidable for most of the time, it's still something that we wish we could go without. I don't know anybody that sits back and goes, man, I can't wait till the next bad thing comes in my life. I'm excited about that. 
it's not something that we really want to go through. But the problem is that though the more comfortable we get, the more things are going well, then when it comes to our relationship with God, we don't necessarily see the value in that relationship. When everything's going good, we tend to think less about how God is blessing us and focus more instead on just enjoying life. When things are going well, we kind of push God to the edge of our life. Yes, we still think he's important. We still go to church. We still make him a priority, but he's just kind of off to the side in our lives. In good times, we see that God is important, but maybe not needed right now. But it's in the times of suffering, when we face difficulties in our lives, in those times that we become aware of how much we need God. And how much we need Him to be our rock and our strength in the storms. So today I want to talk about those times of suffering and how God can be our rock and our strength in them. Trials and suffering are a major theme in 1 Peter. Uh, Peter wrote this letter to Christians who were going through all kinds of trials, uh, many of which were not deserved. They were unfair and unexpected. And Peter describes these as fiery twelves. And so if you'll turn with me to Peter 4, 1 Peter 4, in verse 12 he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I like how straightforward Peter is here. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes at you as though something strange were happening. Peter is telling them and us that trials, that suffering, that difficulties in life shouldn't surprise us. They're going to happen. We shouldn't be going... What? I can't believe this is happening to me. There are many that follow and believe this idea that God wants us to live a carefree, comfortable, wonderful life that is easy. And that if we aren't, it's because of sin in our lives. And that's why we go through hardships and difficulties. Even Jesus' disciples thought the blind man must have been blind because of something that either he did or his parents did, some sin in their lives. This idea that as Christians our lives are supposed to be easy and wonderful is a lie. There is nothing in Scripture that promises us that life is going to be easier when we become a Christ follower. In fact, we see quite the contrary promised to us in Scripture. Suffering is a part of life, and as a Christ follower, we should expect it. We should expect that we're going to go through those difficult times. That's why Peter says, don't be surprised. These trials and struggles we face are a normal part of the Christian life. We see this normalcy expressed all through the New Testament. James, in James 1, 2, says, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Notice the wording here again, James. He says that not that if you face suffering, but he says when you face suffering, to count it as joy. Jesus told the disciples to expect persecution and suffering. In Matthew 10, 16, he said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. 
We are sent out as sheep in the midst of of wolves. The world does not want to accept the message of those who follow Christ. So those who follow Christ should expect to face persecution. We should expect to face trials and suffering. Suffering, trials, difficulties, they're going to come our way. So the first thing I want to make sure that you understand today is that it's not a question of if we will endure suffering, but instead that it's something that should be expected. Suffering is part of the Christian life. And so our response to suffering is important. And that's the second thing I want you to remember today. Our response to suffering is important. In 1 Peter 4, 13, he says then, as he continues after talking about suffering, he then says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. So Peter tells us, don't be surprised by the suffering and trials but that we should rejoice when we face those. Peter's not the only person that tells us to rejoice, as we read from that verse in James. He also told us to count it as joy. Paul tells us to rejoice in our suffering, that suffering is not a bad thing. When Peter described the fiery trials, he calls them tests. That was the word he used. They're like tests. And so if we can change our thinking about suffering then we can change our response to suffering. For the non-Christian who is only focused on their flesh, their selves, suffering, hardships, it's bad and it causes pain and unhappiness. For the world, suffering and trials are bad and they cause people to do anything they can to avoid it. We don't naturally want to endure suffering. It is not part of our normal psyche, our thinking. It is not something we do. So we don't normally see it as good and something we should rejoice in. The sin-filled, broken person who doesn't understand the Christian life sees only pain and hopelessness and suffering. Even for the Christian, if we're not allowing God to work in our lives, we can easily find ourselves in a place of hopelessness when we face suffering. We have to remember, though, that we are not alone in that suffering. We are not alone in the storms that we face. About eight years ago, my father passed away suddenly, and I was broken by it. The pain seemed unbearable at times, and I found myself over and over again saying, God, why did this have to happen? Why is this going on? But because of my faith, Because I leaned into God, I moved forward. I trusted that God was in control and that he would work this out for his glory. Only by trusting God and depending on him and his strength was I able to move from a place of sorrow and pain to a place of hope and joy. Not that I was happy that I lost my dad, but I found joy in the knowledge of knowing that God was maturing me through this time of suffering, 
that he was growing me. He was using it for his glory. I found joy in knowing that I'm promised eternal life because of Christ. And because my dad also was saved in Christ, I know that the day will come I'll see him again. I'm not trying to say that suffering was welcomed in my life. Trust me, I still don't enjoy when we go through these difficult times. But I recognize that those are times for me to trust God, to let him take me deeper, to lean on him and his strength. Because I can tell you that when I try to lean on my own strength, it is not enough. I fall apart every single time. The response that we have to suffering is not normal, and it's different from the world. But that is what we are called to be as Christ followers, different from the world. So our reaction to suffering should be the opposite of those outside of Christ, what they would expect. In James, after he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, he then says... For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just as Peter says that these fiery trials are meant to test us, James says that they mature us. The trials and the suffering that we face are meant to help us grow and mature in our faith. See, without trials, there could be no maturity for us. God often uses them to grow us and produce His results for our lives. So we need to change our perspective on life. and Maybe we need to view it more like a classroom where God is teaching us and helping us to grow. When I was in college, I hated finals. That is the worst thing of the semester because the final is not just over the last few weeks of what you studied. In college... That final is over everything that you have covered in an entire semester. So you have to know everything all the way back from the beginning. And so it meant that I really had to apply myself all semester long. That's so I was making sure I was always remembering what we had been taught. All the way from the beginning of that class to the end. It pushed me. Tests aren't fun, but because of them, I had to push myself to be better and make sure I was remembering everything that I had learned and was applying it to my life. James says that we will become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Paul is one of my favorite New Testament authors. I love to read his letters, and one of my favorites is Romans. And if we turn over into Romans In Romans 5, Paul says this at the beginning of the chapter. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Again, we see that our response to suffering should be one of joy. And he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
Paul also talks about this progression toward maturity that happens because of our perspective and our response to suffering and trials. When we endure and focus on God through our suffering, we stand firm through suffering, then God can work to help us grow and mature in our faith. The suffering that we face also comes in the form of persecution from others in the world around us. See, like I said, the world doesn't really like the message the Bible speaks. And so, as we share the truths of the Bible, even when done in love, many will reject that message and fight back against it. Suffering, because of our walk in Christ, is to be expected. And we need to stand firm in our faith through it. So how do we stand firm in our suffering? How do we stand through all that stuff? Well, Paul does a good job of answering that question in Ephesians chapter 6. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day, in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. We are not alone in our suffering and trials. God's intends for those to help us and mature us, but he doesn't intend for us to go through those alone and empty-handed. Be strong in the Lord and in his strength and his might. The strength we need to stand firm in suffering doesn't come from us. We're not relying on our own strength to carry us through. We draw our strength from God. When we stand firm against suffering, we do it using God's strength, which is more powerful than anything that can come against us. Paul tells us in verse 13, he says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Whatever comes into our lives, whatever suffering, trials, persecution, God is telling us to stand firm. He is telling us to plant our feet on his rock and to stand firm in his strength. And then he's, I like that Paul says that after we have done everything. So when you have done everything you can think of, he tells us the next thing is to stand firm. There is no option to give up, to quit. We are to focus and trust that God is with us and it is his strength. Peter, near the end of his letter, at the end of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. No matter how alone you may feel in your suffering, we are not alone. We entrust our souls to a faithful creator. We entrust our souls to the one who created everything. We entrust our God, our souls to the God who tells us in Exodus that his name is I Am. 
Stand firm in suffering, trusting that God, that the God who is all things, I am, is with you. I want to close today by reading Romans 8, 31 through 39, because when I feel discouraged, when I come to that time when I feel like everything is against me, these are the verses that I often find myself going back to. This is, these are the verses that the Holy Spirit speaks to me when I don't know what to think. And these are the verses that remind me that God is my rock and my strength. Romans says in chapter 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or darkness or nakedness or danger or sword? For as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know how you can't read those verses and feel the power of what Paul is telling us of who God is in that. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. This morning, I want you to remember that God is our rock. Out on our table, I've got a bucket of little rocks. And I want to encourage you to stop by and pick up a rock and put it in your pocket. And use that to remind you. That God is with us. That because of his strength, we can stand firm on the rock and know that we are not alone, but it is him who is with us. Will you pray with me?